You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever, wherever you're joining us. As always, we want to say welcome and thank you so much for spending your time with us. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. Refuge is a new church plant in Southeast Austin. We exist to make disciples that shape our communities with the love of Jesus. We believe Jesus. His love, his message brings very real change to people's lives. And those changing lives bring very real change to our communities. And so whether you're a regular with us here for worship, whether you're joining us for the first time, I want to invite you uh, to go to the connection link in the video description. Click the connect link, right? Um, We would love to share more about who we are with you, our vision for your life and for Austin when we're launching and and all the other details, right, how to get connected. Um, In addition, we'd love to pray for you and just, again, connect with you, learn more about who you are as well. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and, and we do look forward to hearing from you. Now, right now... We're going to go ahead and jump into the Word. You know what time it is. It is my favorite time of the week. I hope it's turning into one of your favorite times of the week. But we're going to be diving into the Word. We're going to be continuing our sermon series, Seize the Moment, where we're talking about developing healthy rhythms. And I know, especially if you're new, you're like, what are you talking about? How can you develop healthy rhythms in the middle of a global pandemic? And I would say that's almost precisely why. Um, For many of us, COVID has stripped our lives down to the fundamentals Yet it's the fundamentals that are, you know, meant to provide a, a, a foundation to build the rest of our lives on, precisely because the message of Jesus impacts, first and foremost, those most fundamental parts of our life. This season gives us a great opportunity to take inventory of those parts, those fundamental parts of our lives, implementing healthy rhythms that will serve us far past the pandemic. Now, today we're going to be tackling the subject, the topic of community. And and I know, right, like if, if talking about healthy rhythms isn't crazy enough now, we're going to jump into the topic of community. Community during the age of social distancing and, and, you know, Zoom calls and FaceTime and all that stuff. I get it. Yet in the midst, even in the midst of all these wild circumstances, uh, the, the instruction of scripture is clear. As followers of Jesus, we value community. If you were with us during our sermon series in Acts, then you saw that even, even at the very beginning of the New Testament church, the followers of Jesus coming together as a community and treating and loving each other like family was a mark of that church. And it stayed a mark of that church through the years, through the centuries, including us. That's why one of our values uh, on our website, on our vision page, is actually family. But you don't have to be a Christian Hear me, you don't have to be a Christian to understand why community is so important. In fact, in 2018, in the survey done by Cigna, the insurance company, half of the 20,000 adults surveyed reported sometimes or always feeling lonely. In that same survey, 40% said that they didn't find their current relationships meaningful. That same article notes that feelings of chronic loneliness can have the same impact on our health as 15 cigarettes a day. Ain't that crazy? And though there's no conclusive reason why specifically Americans are feeling this way, many sociologists believe that our culture has a lot to do with it. 
a culture that boots kids out of the house as soon as they're 18. And we, as Americans, we place such high value on this idea, this word independence, right? There's so many of us in, in efforts to, to get independence would be willing uh, to sacrifice relationships for the sake of career, for the sake of advancement, pushing us farther and farther away from relationships, especially meaningful and impactful relationships. Now, add a global pan- a pandemic on top of that, where even the relationships we were a part of, meaningful or not, are, are, are impacted all the more. And there's just been a major strike in these feelings of loneliness and these feelings of, of lacking meaningfulness. And though there's not a perfect biblical response to a pandemic, okay, uh, that, that does not exist. And if you know anybody that has that, like in terms of a church that has a perfect relational or community response, that is not true. Everyone is trying to figure that out right now. Nor is there a magical fix to loneliness in Scripture. Uh, there is wisdom and an invitation to develop healthy rhythms in our relationships and in the context of our communities. It's an invitation, though, to reconsider what the most valuable part of relationships actually are. And it's through that invitation that we're given the tools to build healthy rhythms in our relationships, healthy rhythms in our communities, regardless of the season that we're in and regardless of the obstacles that we face. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive in. I'm excited to work through our text today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be working through verses 19 through 25. And unlike other weeks, we are sticking with 19 through 25. I know the past few weeks we've been jumping around all over the place. We're sticking with 19 through 25 today. And so let's go ahead and dive in and start reading. This is from the Christian Standard Bible version. Uh, It starts in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, before we dive into to really working out what that text is saying, uh, as we say most weeks, it's just valuable for us to come at the text gaining a bit uh, from the scripture by understanding its background, right? Historically, what's happening here. Uh, as you've heard me say before, and you'll hear me say again, the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. It was written to people thousands of years ago. We have to understand that. And now hear me. What I'm not saying is that you have to understand the biblical backgrounds in order to gain something from the scriptures. We wholeheartedly believe that you, wherever you are, if if today you open the Bible to any page and start reading, the Lord can speak to you, okay? It's not a requirement. But nonetheless, we do still value studying the word in its context, studying it deeply so that we can gain even more from it. And so we're going to start there today uh, by figuring out what Hebrews is about historically. And um, coincidentally, I say all that knowing that it's actually pretty hard to do that in the book of Hebrews, okay? There's a lot of questions that still remain about where the book originated. Was it like a first century letter or even maybe an early second century letter? Was it written by the first generation of Christians, the second generation of Christians? There isn't, isn't, there isn't even a specific person we know who wrote it. There's a lot of theories, but no one truly knows. 
What we do know is that the author seems to be directing this letter to a specific group of people, okay? And, and there are a few clues that help us understand that, but the primary thing that these clues direct us toward is that the audience is probably a Hebrew Christian group. What does that mean? It means that they were Christians religiously in terms of their faith. They believed in Jesus. They followed Jesus, but they were ethnically Hebrew, Jewish people. And although the Hebrew community is where the Christian faith started, and although it wasn't uncommon or crazy for a Hebrew person to be a Christian, it doesn't mean that being a Hebrew Christian was cool in this day and time, okay? Because being Hebrew or Jewish in the first century wasn't quite like being Hispanic or black or white now. Even if we narrow it down and say like, oh, Mexican-American, African-American, or like German-American or whatever, it's still, it still, it doesn't really help us because we still can't grasp the weight and pressure that would have been applied to these people during this time. Okay, in the first century, being Hebrew ethnically meant being Jewish religiously. If you were one, you were expected to be the other. And in their mind, there was a good reason for this. If you were Hebrew, a Jewish person during this time, during this specific time, you might've felt like your religion, your, your faith, your religious customs and practices were really the only thing you had left. Okay, like you had no, you no longer had like a real homeland because the Romans had come and conquered and were ruling over you. As a consequence, you didn't have a monarchy. So meaning you didn't have like a Hebrew king that you could like, like, you know, submit to and, and present among with all the other kings of the world. Uh, the only thing you really had left is your religion. And it was a religion that was passed down from your earliest ancestors, Abraham uh, and, and, and his sons. Uh, not to mention, if you weren't in Jerusalem, if you weren't in Judea, then, then you were probably also surrounded by other people, by Gentiles, by non-Jewish people who were worshiping Greek gods and Roman gods and, and gods from all other places. And so one of the only things that you had a hope in was that soon the Messiah would come. Okay, the rescuer, the person who's going to make it all right. And that Messiah was going to free you from the Romans, restore the temple, your place of worship, bring you back to your homeland, restore the monarchy, be your king, and make everything right. But now, here comes the, these Christians, these, this new group of people, right? They, they, they call themselves the followers, or the, the people of the way, the followers of Jesus. It started with the group of Jews in Jerusalem that are now saying that the Messiah had actually already come. But, but it didn't go how we expected it to go. The Romans had actually captured this Messiah, and they had actually crucified and killed this Messiah. But, but God had resurrected this Messiah, this Jesus. And now, yes, he is building the kingdom of God on earth, but he is building his kingdom, not materially, but in the hearts of the people that follow him. This idea would have been deeply challenging, not just to what you believe, but it would have been deeply challenging to your hopes, what you were hoping for, the, the, the relief that you were expecting. And so why does all this matter? Okay, I'm kind of taking you down this rabbit hole. What does it all matter? It matters because most scholars believe that the book of Hebrews is actually meant to encourage Hebrew Christian believers that are being pressured from the Hebrew communities that they live in. 
They're feeling pressure, even persecution, to return back to traditional Hebrew teachings and customs. So the letter, out of that motivation, out of that focus, really narrows in, not broadly, but narrows in on teaching why Jesus is superior in every way to the traditional teachings, uh, traditional Hebrew and Jewish teachings. The author, uh, hold, but the author doesn't disregard Hebrew teachings, doesn't disregard Jewish teachings. Those are actually the teachings that, that, that Christianity is built on. Rather, what he or she, we don't know who's wrote it, but what he or she is doing is actually showing how Jesus is the fulfillment and perfection of everything that the Hebrew or Jewish people have really understood about drawing close to God. It's an amazing book that I would love for us to work through, I mean, in its entirety, one day, not soon, that, that is a challenge. So we're, let's get to launching first, and then after we launch, we'll think about jumping into the book of Hebrews. But, but so that's what this text is about, right? It's about encouraging the Hebrew Christian believers to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of persecution, in the midst of that pressure. And so you might be asking, if that's the point, where does the topic, where does the point of community come in? And it's a little bit tricky. Okay, it's a little bit tricky because it, it actually here starts in verse 25. Verse 25 uh, finishing up that thought in 19 to 25 says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, th this little tidbit seems small, but, but it's actually massive once we understand what it's connected to. Okay, the author of Hebrews understands that this act of gathering together is almost the connection piece between what Christ has done and how it impacts our lives. Okay, starting in chapter 10 here, the author begins to unpack really why all these teachings he's given, or, or he, that the author's given about who Jesus is and, and what he's done, how it all impacts our life. And, and really what, what the author is going to do is show us that the connection piece is really community. It's, it's almost like the bridge that's going to bring together what Christ has done, his work, what Jesus has done, and the impact of Jesus' work on our life. Now, now how does this happen? Well, it starts at the beginning of our uh, of our text today. In verse 20, in verse 19, I mean, check this out. It starts out, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now I'm going to break there. Okay, because what's happening here is that this is really a summary of everything that the book of Hebrews has been teaching up to this point. Okay, because Jesus has been presented as the perfect sacrifice for the followers of Jesus. Now we, as his followers, have access to God again. And in his resurrection, now he is the perfect high priest that advocates for us before God. Why does this matter to us? Well, that's what's going to happen from here. That's what the author is going to show us from here. The author is going to introduce three phrases that start with let us that are going to show us, here's what this means to your life. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of pain, here's why this reality, this truth of Jesus being the perfect sacrifice and in his resurrection now being the high priest that advocates for you, here's why it matters. So he jumps into these three points. And, and, and so I'll, I'll, let's take a look at that real quick. Okay, the first is, let us draw near with faith. It starts in verse 22. It says, you know, since... He's the perfect sacrifice since he is the high priest. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. 
Okay, because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, the followers of Jesus, his people now have access to God. We can come to him. We can come to him. Even in the midst of what feels like darkness and heaviness, we can come to him. If you're anything like me, you've probably wrestled with some darkness recently. You've probably wrestled with some pain, with some sadness. And and for me, I'm not talking about like last year, I'm talking about like last week, right? Even going so far as this past week during the, the presidential debate, man, I hopped on social media afterwards to see what people were saying. And there was so much hate being spewed out there, right? From, from didn't matter what side you were on. It just, it was a burden of my heart. It, it made me sorrowful, if I'm being honest. If, for you, maybe you're feeling something similar right now. Maybe it's not politics. Maybe for you, it's, it's what's happening in your finances or in your health. You can bring those to God. You can bring those burdens to God because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And here's the beautiful part. Your actions, your attitudes, your doubts, that time you got too angry in traffic or you got too angry with your kids, or if you're like me, you got too angry with your dogs, then, then it, none of that matters. Right, None of that is the thing that prevents or enables you to bring your burdens to God. Because of the perfect sacrifice that Jesus has made, we now are able to come before God clean of an evil conscience with pure bodies because of the the sacrifice that Jesus has made and bring our burdens to God. Jesus has opened the door to having access to the God that speaks to our hearts, that brings us courage when we have none and strength when we have none and encouragement when we have none. His grace on the cross gave us the gift of his life and his spirit in us, allowing us now to draw near to God. Come on. And it's really this idea that gives way to the next bit of encouragement, okay? We can cling to our faith, really, because we can cling to him. Okay, the second let us, the second encouragement, okay, comes in verse 23, where where the author says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Okay, for these Hebrew people, it must have felt like a tsunami of pressure 24-7, right? Right, the community they lived in was applying pressure constantly, maybe even persecution for them to retreat back from their belief and faith in Jesus to return back to the life they lived previously. Okay, and maybe for you, it's not, doesn't feel like persecution, but I'm sure that you can relate to this in some way. There are constant pressures for many of us to return back to our old form of life, our old way of living, our old way of, of trusting the things we used to trust and things we used to place our hope in. Yet, as we draw near to Jesus, we're reminded of his faithfulness. We're reminded of his unrelenting pursuit of us that led him all the way up to the cross to give himself for us. And the author of Hebrews believes that reminder of faithfulness spurs our own faithfulness toward God. I know there are some of us who are watching this video right now that that are clinging to dear life right now, okay, That, that, that are clinging to dear life. Maybe you're working through health stuff. Maybe you're working through relational stuff. Maybe you're working through financial stuff. Maybe you're working through economic stuff with work or your job. I don't. I know for a fact there are a variety of different things going on with just the people that call refuge home, but maybe you don't call refuge home. Maybe you work through a whole host of things that I don't even know about, but we all know personally the things that we're working through. And if we're being honest, if we're being honest, it feels like The only thing we have left to do right now is cling to God himself. And let me tell you, friend, from the bottom of my heart, that you you are exactly where you need to be. 
because it's in clinging to the faithfulness of God that we are actually spurred and reminded of what faithfulness looks like. We're spurred and reminded uh, of what the goodness of God looks like. I don't know why the things that are happening in your life are happening. I, I don't know. But I know who does, and I know who is right now waiting arms open in order to receive us back to himself with all of our burdens, with all of our heartache, with all of our pain, with all of our concerns, in order to bring hope to our heart. Even when it feels like we doubt him, we get to return back to his faithfulness and be reminded what faithfulness looks like. And so why does this sacrifice matter to us? Why does Jesus' resurrection matter to us? Because it frees us to come to him. It frees us to cling to him. It frees us to be encouraged in the midst of hardship and pain and sorrow. No longer are we bound to seek hope, faith, and love in the places that will inevitably let us down, but we are now free to pursue him and in him to be comforted and encouraged and lifted up even in our darkest and hardest moments. And, and this is great. This should, this should be spurring us to worship. This should be spurring us to encouragement. This should be getting us excited. But as we finish the text, we need to also take inventory of where these things actually happen. I'm going to say that again. This should be moving us to worship and getting us excited. But as we finish this text, we need to make note of where these things actually happen. You remember earlier I said that there was this bridge between what actually, what Jesus did in, on the cross in his resurrection and what it means to our life. That there's a connection piece the author is building that brings these things together and it's actually found in this last let us, in this last encouragement. In verse 24 it says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as, we, as you see the day approaching. Where are we reminded of these acts? Where are we reminded to draw near? Where are we reminded to cling to our faith? Where are we reminded to devote ourselves to God and scripture? Where are we reminded to share our faith? Where are we reminded of God's goodness and what it means for our lives and what it looks like to live out knowing and experiencing God's goodness in our own lives? It happens in the context of our brothers and sisters provoking us to love and good works. In short, how, we, how are we to connect to this hope, to this faith, to this love? Through our brothers and sisters, through our community. They are the means by which we are connected to the truths of Christ's death and resurrection and what it means for our life. Without our brothers and sisters, without the community of faith, we're left on an island. Oftentimes, we're left alone to try to defend ourselves from the lies of the enemy and the pain that comes with interacting with a broken world. The community of faith is actually often a sanctuary because the people of God are actually now the dwelling place of God. When we interact with the church, when we interact with the community of faith, we interact with the God of the universe that is at work in the world through his people, through the community of faith, through your brothers and sisters, through you. No, they are not going to be perfect. But, but speaking like lovingly to you, 
neither are you. <laughs> like, neither am I. We all share that together, that none of us are actually perfect relationally or in any other way. But what we also share is the common work of God in our hearts that's drawing us to him and placing emphasis uh, in our hearts to bring hope to one another, to encourage one another, that, to, to, to bring courage when we're weak, to bring encouragement when we feel hopeless. The community of faith is the place where, where you come to give and receive in order to encourage each other to press on, to keep going in good times but also in the roughest of times. And this is actually what would have been seen in the phrase, gather together. Okay, in verse 25, it says, not neglecting to gather together. And, and this Greek word used here is the Greek word synagogue. And it was the word for like the religious meeting of Jews as well as Christians. It was kind of like a word for church, gather together, meet together for church. And this word would eventually become the word for synagogue, where we would get the English word synagogue from, the, the, the Jewish synagogue where, where people of the Jewish faith go to worship now. And, and these religious meetings, right, the, the precursors to synagogues, these became prominent during the time when, when the Hebrew people were in exile, when they were taken from their homeland and spread out across the world, starting in Babylon, but, but moving to different places. They were surrounded by different people, by different religions, by different customs, by different faiths all across the world. And they began to band together in community. These meetings weren't just meant to allow them to worship in the, in the context of all, all the other types of worship that were going on, but they also functioned to protect them from the pressures of the outside world. Okay, no matter where the Jews were, there was always this pressure externally from different cultures to, to assimilate to the, to the more broadly accepted religious culture or religious customs or religious you know, practices or beliefs. These meetings, these, these gatherings together became the safe space for, for, for the Jews to, wait, uh, to, to live out their way of life culturally and religiously. And let me be honest, how, how much can we relate to that if we really think it through? How much can we relate to that? How many of us feel the pressure and weight of our, of our external surroundings when we go to work, when we hang out you know, with, with people at work, when we um, you know, go to the gym, wherever it is that you're going, right? Wherever it is that you're, you're at. Man, let's get more, more like, like closer proximity. When you're at home, you turn on the TV and you jump on Netflix to watch something to pass the time. How many of us are interacting with ideas that are tempting to draw us, that want to bring us out of placing our hope and seeking Jesus for our hope and our faith and, 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 and our encouragement and putting our faith and trust in other things? How many of us actually experience that? It's not easy to see where it's happening in our own world, friends, in our own lives. Yet, in, in, in what's happening here, the author of Hebrews wants to see, wants us to see this community, right, this gathering together as a safe space, okay? And, and he, he's trying to let us know that this is, this is the space that, that encourages you. He really isn't trying to emphasize it when in the rest of the chapter, for the rest of chapter 10, it's actually one big warning about how really uh, leaving or abandoning the gathering together can possibly lead to people losing their losing their devotion to Christ. How many of us see our community in this dynamic way? Okay, how many of us see our community as a community of people where we have a safe space from the lies of the enemy? 
okay, from the brokenness and the heartache and the pain of the world, from the temptation to turn from the only one who actually brings us life. How many of us see the community as a place where we are called to encourage others and to be encouraged to seek after and to place our hope in Jesus? How many of us understand that this community of people isn't just about people, maybe even more so, it's about Jesus? Where are we to be brought back to the hope of our hearts and the courage of our souls in the community where we are pointed back to Jesus, right? right. Where are we encouraged to cling to faith in our hardest moments in the community that points us back to Jesus? Where are we reminded that the material possessions we own, whether a lot or whether a little, don't define us in the community of brothers and sisters that point us back to Jesus, The motivation for the community in in the mind of the Hebrews author isn't about whether people are cool or whether we have something in common with them or anything like that. It's the reality that we're pointing each other back to Jesus. In that community, we will find life, not because community itself naturally brings us life, but rather because in that community, we're pointing each other back to the one who brings us life, Jesus. But it's only when we are convinced that Jesus is actually where we find life, right? When we join the the, the disciples of Jesus who are saying, where else can we go, Lord, for only you have the words of life, that we begin to see and are motivated toward community rather than just the different methods of community, different expressions of community, different characteristics of community, Convictions are are the things that settle in our heart when Jesus becomes the motivation for this new community. Convictions that these people, these people are a part of God's plan to show me who he is. There will be bumps in the road, okay? There will be disagreements. There will be awkward introductions. There will be all those things, okay? But there will also be life, and there will also be hope, and there will also be encouragement, and there will also be an increase in faith. Why? Because we are serving each other by pointing one another back to the author of life and hope and faith to Jesus. He's the new motivation for the community. He's the new life in the community. He's the new bind, the new bond that brings the community together. Jesus, it's about him. It's about him. Ooh, I'm fixing to cry and talking about this next part. Sorry. Um, This actually reminds me of one of my favorite, one of my best friends, my brother and my friend, Mr. Peter Dusan. And if some of y'all are giggling, uh, you know him and you know kind of why I'm saying this. My brother Peter is uh, is the pastor at the Springs Church in San Marcos, the church that I met Rachel at, my wife, and also the church that I served at prior to going to uh, to come on staff at the well, where we were then sent to plant refuge. Um, And so I, I... I can tell you on paper, me and this man, Peter, should have never been friends. We should have never been friends. With all due respect, and I love this man to death, he is the whitest person I've ever met in my life. And I say that because he would say that. Okay, Peter hails from the the beautiful city of Bend, Oregon, where according to him, diversity is measured by the color Subaru that you drive. All right, he played baseball his whole life, a sport that I do not watch. At max, I watch it two weeks a year. Okay, only in the last two rounds of the playoffs, and that's only if the Houston Astros are in it. 50% of the time I've seen this man, I have seen him in flip-flops. 
Okay, like, and I don't mean like slides, like Nike slides, like something I wear. I mean like them thong flip flops, where that that thing is between the big toe and the rest of them toes. You could hear that man coming, like, okay, like, I'm telling you, for me, Jordan wearing Hispanic kid, right? um, More of like an urban type culture. There's no way that we should have been friends. But this man was one of the major reasons my wife and I are married today. Okay. Um, he's a man that shared his life with me, that shared his home with me, that shared his fears with me, that shared his struggles with me, shared his joys with me, that shared his life with me, shared everything with me. And in the moments of my deepest pain and greatest fears, he was one of the men that built me up and pointed me back to Jesus. During a time where my own failures as, as a man and as a follower of Jesus were hurting me, were hurting Rachel, it was men like Peter who on paper should not have been my boy, should not have been close to me, should not have been my friend, but through the spirit of God at work in him saw me and pushed me and pointed me back to Jesus for my hope and my faith and my manhood. That's what the community of faith looks like. That's what the community of faith looks like. It's people coming together. People you may not know. People that you may not agree with. People that for all intents and purposes you may not even like. But people that are brought together through their through the shared experience of belonging to, loving and being loved by Jesus. And now we point each other from all different walks of life, from, from all different spaces, at different ages, from different ethnicities, from different, different everything, right? We all come together, brothers and sisters, and point each other back to the one that brings life to you, no matter who you are or where you're from. Jesus, the King of the earth, the Messiah, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest. That's where it happens. That's what the community of faith looks like. God, I could talk about that for like the next hour. And I'm trying to rein it in so hard, y'all, because like I got notes that are going to something else. But I want to keep talking about this so bad. Okay, so with that, with that, how do we create healthy rhythms from that new motivation, right? We have a new motivation. We have a new vision of what, of what Christian community looks like or what its purposes are. Okay, how do we create new healthy rhythms with these new motivations, especially in the midst of a global pandemic, right? How do we do that? Well, I, I can't give you an exhaustive list. I don't think that exists, okay? But what I can do and what I want to encourage you toward is two things that I think will make a huge difference, okay? Two things. The first one is that I want to compel you to value conviction over method. I'm going to say that again. I want to compel you. I want to encourage you to value conviction over method. Jesus is now the motivation to connect with others. And that motivation should draw a conviction in us to be together. That conviction has to to be more valuable to us than than the methods by which we gather together. Okay, right now, it's difficult for any of us to, to, to get together in the way that we want to, okay? We're all split up between like these social distance type gatherings or like Zoom calls and FaceTime and all this other stuff, and it can feel real discouraging, okay? Because we're denied the method of interaction, the method of gathering together, the method of connecting that we most enjoy. Yet what is often easy to forget is that the people we're seeing no matter if it's in a Zoom, FaceTime, you know, social distance, or whether it's like in-person, close-knit together, the people we're seeing have a deep conviction also to see you. 
They have a deep conviction to see you. And trust me, the people that you're with in that Zoom call and that social distance thing, they're not sitting there being like, oh, man, I, I am so enjoying this. This is like the actual way I've always wanted to live out relationships. They're not feeling that. Trust me. If you're ever in any one of those situations with me, I'm definitely not feeling that way. Yet each person in those meetings, each person in those, 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 those connection times has seen the beauty of Jesus and is growing in their knowledge that Jesus works through his people uh, coming together so that we can live out faith, hope, and love. So they're there to see you. They're there to see you and to receive from you and to offer what they have and what they can to you, all in an effort that we would draw near to Jesus and cling to the hope we have in Jesus, especially during seasons like this. In short, they're there for you as much as they are there for themselves. Think about it like that. They're there for you as much as they're there for themselves, valuing their conviction, valuing our conviction as a community to connect together over the methods that we connect, by which we connect together, will serve you long term. I don't care when or where it is, okay? I'm serious. Like, like if you are able to value conviction to connect more than the methods that we connect, it doesn't matter if it's your community group or if it's a friend that you know from high school that you haven't seen in a long, long time, okay? It will create a sense of value between you and that other person, okay? Because they will understand, and maybe even you might understand, that the conviction each one of you has to connect together trumps our personal preference on how we connect together. In other words, you're telling that other person you are more valuable than, than my preferences in how we see each other. That's what you're saying. Okay, and friends, hear me. During the course of my life, I've lost, I think, a lot of good friendships because I didn't like connecting through the mediums that were available. I just didn't like text conversations, or I didn't like FaceTimes, or I didn't like Marco Polos, or I didn't like whatever it was, and as a result, lost a lot of friends. If this season has taught me anything, it's that I wish I had valued my and their conviction to connect together more than I had valued my own preferences on how we connected together. Um, and um, a lot of those friendships are, are, are mendable. And I'm praying that, that I have the opportunity, that we have the opportunity to reconnect in, in a lot of those friendships. It's a few, you know, but my prayer is that you would not have that experience. You would not learn uh, that, that lesson through... Uh, uh, these same experiences that I learned that lesson. I'm praying that even now, you know, we would begin to, to really value, again, convictions, convictions to see each other over the methods by which we see each other. Okay, the second one is that um, I want to encourage you to be vulnerable. Nothing breaks down walls with another person like being vulnerable. Okay, uh, it builds trust because primarily it shows humility. It shows humility and, and that encourages people to be vulnerable with you, to open up to you, create space for us to actually point each other back to Jesus. And that's important. Okay, that we would create space with one another to point each other back to Jesus. There's probably a ton more uh, that we, you know, could list off there and a ton more where that comes from. But I think if we just start even with those two, uh, implementing those two actions into, the, into our relationships, into our community, uh, man, we'll go a long way. I mean a long way. It'll serve us far past, again, the pandemic. It'll serve us for the rest of our lives. <sighs> Okay, and so as we close today, talking about relationships and community, I did want to, as I've mentioned to multiple of you uh, in emails and in other communications, to spend a moment doing one of the things that connects us as a community to our faith in Jesus, and that is communion. 
If you are part of our launch team, uh, then you should have gotten a package in the mail this week uh, with some pre-packaged little communion elements. Look like that. All right. Old school, baby. Uh, the author of Hebrews, man, he, he, that author, he, he viewed all of this, okay? He or she viewed all of this. The love we have for one another, the desire to get together, the urgency we have to get together, um, they saw it connected to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, without his body broken, without his blood shed, without him risen back to life, there's no hope for us. There's really no true meaning in relationships unless we're, we're being pointed back to the thing that actually brings us life. But today we get to celebrate and focus our attention back on Jesus, back on his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Okay, and so before we prepare our hearts to take part in communion, I want to say that if you're not part of our launch team, I want to invite you to still partake in communion with us. You don't have to have this little deal. Right now, just pause the video, go to your kitchen, get whatever it is that you have. Maybe it's saltine crackers or I don't know what you have, but, you know, like use that. Any of those things is good, but I want to encourage you to partake with us in whatever way you can. And if you're not a believer, I also want to make note that, that this is an act of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice that his followers cling to. And so if that's not you, if you don't cling and put your trust in that sacrifice of Jesus, I want to encourage you to let this moment pass by. Okay, don't feel pressure to do it. No, sit right there. Um, take a listen, hear what we're saying. In addition, if you would like to know more about this Jesus, the sacrifice that he's made for you and how he advocates for you, I want to encourage you that, that we want to do that with you. So jump into the video description, click that connect link, and, and we would love to, to touch base with you. So right now, let's go ahead and prepare our hearts to receive communion. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 11, um, and it starts in verse 23. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on, passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would, please take the bread or the wafer with me now. Continues in 25. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. If you would please uh, take the juice with me now. Amen. Let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts uh, to respond to God's word, to respond to Jesus' sacrifice and worship as we pray together and enter into our final song. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you have given your life as a perfect sacrifice, that in your resurrection, you are now our high priest. You, you advocate for us. You, you clean us, wash us white, invite us into a perfect and beautiful relationship with the, the author of our lives, with God. And so now we, we come before you humbly thanking you. Thank you that you have done that for us as people and brought us together in order to, to allow us to spur one another toward life, to spur one another toward love and good works to your glory and for our good. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.